Hello, welcome to the Chip Lunch oh. Podcast. Uh, it is awesome uh, to have you here today. I'm joined today uh, by Joel. That's Hello, me. Joel. Hello, how are you? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. Thanks. How are you? That is good. I'm I'm good. How That's are you? Good. Yeah, really good. Thanks. How are you? Oh, I'm really good, man. How are you? Amazing. <laughs> if you just keep asking each other, how are you? It's like you get feel better and better. Do you yeah, yeah. I'm like, I am now. I feel. <laughs> if you would ask me, how are you again? It would be better than. As I mean, how are you? I'm excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Ask me. How are you, man? I'm amazing. Like, I feel so good this that's, morning. That's so, that's so epic. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Joel and I are joined this morning by Elliot. Hi, Elliot. Mm. Hey, Sean. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> that's sick. Uh, thank you for you to coming on the podcast because you were a late call up as of less than 12 hours ago. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't say. Right. We're out for, we're at, like, we're out for Lewis's birthday. Mm. In Burwood, Chinatown, which Ooh, I've never been to before, nice. but it was a great experience. And uh, I was trying to find a guest because unfortunately one of our other guests was not able to make it. And Elliot's like, yeah. <laughs> I asked you and then you said yes. So thank, thank you for coming Easy. on such short notice. I really oh, appreciate it. Um, both of you though were just mm. sharing how tired you are. You've, yes. been, you've been doing some long nights. Either. Yeah, I just had to, uh, for, for my other job, I, I do some make some videos for um, a radio and TV preacher and he um, puts out devotionals that go all around the world to millions of people, which is really exciting. But uh, to actually produce those, we need to wake up and go into a film studio at three in the morning. <laughs> and that is not my time of the morning. Uh, and so we had to do that for two days in a row. And so now I'm, I'm a little vegetable slash cactus cactus is what i was going for i'm a cactus yeah so little I'm vegetables like yeah. <laughs> yeah it's a little the wrong word choice um but yeah the um it's 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 really it's really cool though to to have it done and um and we we our studio is a corridor in a church is that it? we have kitted out like with some banners and some stuff to and so i spend all of tuesday actually setting up this corridor and turning it into something that resembles a studio. And then um, I communicate with our director who is in England, which is really cool. And so we, we sit on the phone together and, um, and he le runs me through how to use all the tech stuff, which like I'm pretty, pretty tech savvy, but this guy is another level he's of tech know, savvy. Yeah, yeah he's, he's amazing. So, um, so yeah, it's, really, it's a really fun thing to do, but I am now very tired. Mm. Which often makes for a good podcast though. I hope so. <laughs> And Elliot, why have you been tired? I've sort of been on the move for a couple of days just because, <clears throat> excuse me, um, my wife, who's a weapon, is in Maniza at the moment doing <laughs> a rural hospital placement. Wow. And um, yeah, I had a little bit of time after a longer week at work, ducked up there yep. to be with her and her family, and then shot down here straight into an early start at work into. Uh, Going to Burwood Chinatown. So. Yeah, right. <laughs> what did you did you enjoy? Have you been to Burwood Chinatown before? I haven't. No, no, no. I've been to the Haymarket yep. one, but um, no, it was sick. I feel like it's a reasonably recent addition to Burwood. Like, was it like they obviously developed it to be that way? But it was it was a lot of fun. I'd f you don't really experience that in the Shire. That's what, that's what I'll <laughs> say. But that was cool, um, but it's also difficult to figure out what I wanted to have. Mm. to eat because there was so many different options that's cool baklava in chinatown 
notoriously hard to come by. So. <laughs> How do you throw me under the bus there, <laughs> Elliot? I was just saying to everyone, like, hey, look, Emma's on the way home, guys. You want to get some baklava on the way home? And everyone wanted to keep hanging out, so that's fine. But I need to get home anyway. But yeah. Braden and I went via the Kemba. It's the place that we went to, King of Sweets. Shout out to King of Sweets. Mm, King of Sweets is good. Was uh, it was open till ten o'clock, awesome. and we got there at like nine fifty three. Sick. And they were mopping the floor, and I said, "Oh, can I come in?" And she's like, "Yeah, come in." And then we, I bought a box of baklava. Yes, it was. That is great. Delicious. Unreal. I love baklava. Anyway, <laughs> let's get on to the, the main point of this podcast, which is Elliot today. And how we have you, how do you have your hot chips? Because oh. that is the main part of this that mm. is the main part of this podcast. Critical foundational question. Yeah. Oh, love, I'm glad you're on the podcast. <laughs> it's a great way to describe it. <laughs> We're all too tired <laughs> to describe it. All right. Yeah, how do you like to have your hot chips? I'm still not fully convinced by the Australian <laughs> phenomenon of Chicken salt? I don't really understand what that necessarily is. So I'd put two options forward. One's a bit of rosemary, like good sea salt. Yeah, nice. I don't know, oil of some sort. Or if you've ever had chips with maple syrup. (gasps) What? This is the first Absolute trace amounts, so you can't soak them. Yeah, um, just little bits. Something. That is the first person. Quite. Quite magic. I might try that today. That is literally the first person who suggested maple syrup on the whole podcast. This is episode 99. (laughs) Wow. Awesome. Maple syrup. Mm. Is that something like you and your mates would do? Or is that just something you've gone like, I've found this and this is awesome? I think it was something we did as kids after we saw Elf. Ah, yes. Okay. Um, Like there's a scene with the spaghetti and everything. We did try that as kids Mm. and that wore out really quickly. But then in a trace amount, I think that and like dipping... A fry and like a shake of any oh, sort. Yes. Yeah, that I is. And it sort of stems from that mm. yeah. same philosophy. So, um, yeah, it's like sweet and salty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah okay. Chips and ice cream is just unreal. Mm. Yeah, it is. Again, like just a dip, and yeah, it has really to be. Good. It has to be a dip. You can't. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's that you. You got to maintain that heat and that cold thing because that's kind of what makes. Oh it, yeah, the heat and the cold. Yeah, like too, it's such it? a. It's such a big because you got mm. sweet, salty, and then heat and cold yeah. difference as well. Yeah, it's unreal. Yeah. It's a very cool experience. Uh, I'm glad that you don't like chicken salt that much because I am the same. I really don't understand what it is, like chemically, like that. I don't think anyone does, and I think that's part of it. Part of it is part of it is no one really knows, (laughs) and it's still delicious. And Mm. so we, as a as a country, we 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 lean into the ignorance is bliss thing. Yep. (laughs) Didn't we figure it out at some? I think we did, but I never actually sticks in my brain. Like stock paste in it or something? No, something like that. Well, it's spices. Yeah. One of the two. Just, yeah. Uh, it was invented by some guy in um, South Australia. Hmm. Ah, okay. Sure. Um, yeah, it's yeah. uniquely ours. <laughs> it's uniquely ours. But I think... I think Just like the black box. Maybe it's a Mandela record. effect thing. That like, I, I, reckon I've, I reckon I've Googled what makes... What's in chicken salt mm-hmm. over and over again throughout my life. And it is never stuck in my brain. And I think that's intentional. Like I think there's something, oh, okay. there's something there. Well, it's the chicken salt makes you forget. Totally. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> it keeps you coming back by yeah. blotting your memories. Yeah. It's. I think it's just really intentionally vague. It's like because I that, reckon. I reckon. This is because it's called chicken salt. It has no chicken in it. Yeah. No. No. Definitely not. It was just to make it taste better. Like it's all branding. It's all. But this, see, I reckon you're gonna read this website and you're gonna read something and you're gonna be like, oh. This is what it's made out of. And then 
we're going to forget that. Or you're going to Google another website and it's going to say something different because mm. no one really knows. Because this is an American site that's saying, what is chi- the headline, what is chicken salt? It's Australia's secret umami bomb. Oh, I don't know what that means. Or well, umami, isn't that the... Is that the... I forget what that's called. Is it like, like the fifth scent or something? It's like... Oh, the fi- um, there's different tastes, isn't there? There's sweet, salty... I think it's a blend. It's like the savoury, meaty like realm of taste or something oh, like that. Cool. Savory, savoriness is one of the five basic tastes. Uh, is a characteristic of broth and cooked meats. People taste umami through taste receptors that typically respond to glutamates and nucleotides, which are widely present in meat broths and fermented products. Yeah, okay. Checks out. Hmm. It's delicious. But I don't think... Consistently delicious. Nucleotidal salt. <laughs> that sounds pretty good. Yeah, sounds yeah. sick. That, yeah. <laughs> that sounds dangerous. <laughs> I'll have some... Uh, do you want normal salt? Do you want plain salt, chicken salt, or nucleotidal salt? Or they, or they should put... Or they should say, like, do you want me to put a little bit of chicken salt on, or do you want me to nuke it? Oh! <laughs> like, that's the... That's, I'd, I'd, that sounds elite. <laughs> that's very cool. <laughs> it sounds elite. It? it does. Like, that's, it does. That's impressive. I mm. like that, Ethan. See, I like Tide Ethan. Comes up with some good ideas. <laughs> it's, it's very hit and miss. It's like <laughs> 70, 30. Like 70, just craziness. And 30, like that 30 is really yeah. solid. But So that's yeah. the story of Saturday Night Live, that they would have a Tuesday night writing night and they would stay. They would purposely stay up all night because that's when crazy ideas came for sketches. Yeah, it checks out. So, But that's also where all the drug use came in, I think, well, to yeah. keep them awake oh, yes. keep them fired up. <laughs> yeah well I can't say I'm doing that No but, but I can come up with the ideas In my tiredness I got you Yeah cool uh, Elliot back to you Instead <laughs> of Ethan Two E's on the podcast too Yeah, Easy E's um, How did you become a Christian Elliot? <clears throat> um, I feel like there's Yeah sort of a long arc to that um where growing up i definitely knew of god and my upbringing and was sort of introduced especially back in the u.s it's quite uh normal to have the concept of religion thrown around mm. um yeah it's quite standardized and then even we grew up sort of attending the catholic church uh which we went through, I think, just because my parents and started the, the normal communion um, and confirmation uh, gateways there, like in the catechism with that. And I knew pretty early on that I didn't really align with a lot of that. I think there were a lot of good tenets in it. and um, But for a lot of that, it was definitely not my own faith for sure. But I knew of God in a broad sense. Um, I think it was definitely a point in high school where I had done away with the concept of needing or relating to God whatsoever. Looked a lot into um, what was, I wouldn't say new age, but looking into things past and like a uh, post-Christian sort of existence. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the whole time I feel like God was still working with me because we had a few of us who were all a bit into music sort of little skater punks who used to like <laughs> wrestle at one of my mates houses before a youth group which was just uh non-denominational very very laid back and sort of the environment that protected us from a lot of 
worst things we could have fallen into. Mm -hmm. And um, even when I wasn't necessarily a Christian, they took us in and loved us really well. Mm. And then later on, I actually chose to volunteer at a, one of the camps they run um, for a whole summer when I was about 15 just to go away from home for a little while. And yeah, that from there on, it sort of changed my life. And I saw what a community living for Jesus was like. Uh, did that the following year when a lot of people were traveling. I just went up to Washington, oh, sorry, uh, Oregon um, by myself for the summer with that same ministry and just had my sort of life changed from there on. Um, so yeah, back in the US, sort of late high school um, was where yeah, I found Jesus properly. Yeah, right. And was there a, is there a particular moment that you can remember that you're like, oh, I am a Christian? I think I definitely knew it in Oregon. Yeah, um, right. Yeah, working at one of the properties there. Um, and just some of the conversations and experiences with the staff and then being in such a yeah beautiful place doing the ministry there and um yeah i knew there was nothing better than what they were preaching at the time so what's yeah. that um culture about camps is it because i feel like that's a reasonably uniquely american thing of like mm. the summer camps thing what what's that is that because the summer holidays are really long and kids need something to do? <laughs> yeah try to yeah, push them onto someone else for a little while yeah. for the parents, I think. Um, yeah, summer is usually like 11 weeks, so it's quite yeah. quite long. Yeah. Um, and it Christmas is break is short. That's about two weeks. Yeah. yeah. So I think there is a sort of threshold you hit as a parent where 11 <laughs> weeks becomes unmanageable. So, there, yeah, there's usually like one or two week long camps. A lot of the churches run them. A lot of schools just run them as well. But, um, yeah, I'd say it's part of the U.S.'s sort of unique semi-Christian <laughs> foundations. Um, right. But they've definitely done a lot of good in my mates who are practicing back back in the US. I think um, we've all had some pretty mm. key experiences there. Mm. Um, and it's just a really good environment, I think, to disconnect from all your pressures as well. Mm. So I found it quite helpful. Um, there's another one called the Delta, which I went to, uh, which is where we took kids from Los Angeles who had maybe not spent too much time outdoors at all. And you go up and you stay on the roof of a houseboat. There's like 30 dudes to a boat pretty much. <laughs> and you, you move up the north. It's uh, in San Joaquin, California. And there's this river delta. Yeah. And we just show them how to like camp, wakeboard, fish, awesome. like all that stuff have worship on top of the boats. And I remember, um, yeah, that being a pretty key one for a lot of my, my friends back home. Yeah, right. That's really cool. Well, so we've talked previously, East, about the importance of youth camps. We have. And mm -hmm. how impactful they can be. Like mm -hmm. I never went to one when I was younger, but we Sorovol just recently held their first one. Mm. And it can be really formative for, for, especially around that age, like you're saying you're around 15. Is that when you 15 first was one? when I, yeah, went away for the first one, maybe unconvinced and mm -hmm. probably... 1617 was yeah exactly hit that example of um especially at the delta you see someone who's crewing the boat slash running your uh, your discussion groups after each sermon mm. and that person who's an absolute steward mm. for you and like absolute servant for the whole um group of guys there like yeah. there's no better imagery i think to mm. learn from just yeah, right. yeah that humble um 
and still like very switched on. Like mm. has a lot of the the answers biblically, but um, yeah, that humble, gracious servant attitudes. Yeah, yeah like cool. nothing else really. And something like the Delta, how does it? What's a how long do you usually go for? And and is every day just like you know you do a, a like a Bible talk and a kind of discussion groups and then you're just hanging out like you said fishing and skiing and all that stuff uh so there's sort of depends when i was a camper it's just a week um but then when i worked there i think up to 10 i think i was there for 10 weeks so we ran yeah quite a few um different churches from all around california through that Mm. and yeah the structure is that the first days are uh, just to get familiar and bonding. So a lot of group cooking, like you all take different roles as well, which okay. is good. So you're all doing dishes for each other and serving one another so, yeah, yeah, in a really genuine way. So that's cool. first day you sort of more up, do all the safety, get familiar with the boat, mm. get used to sleeping out on the deck. And yeah. then the next day is <laughs> so cool. It's usually a bit of yeah fishing early morning, some swims and they do like a dawn patrol, uh, take people out on the boat and then maybe one afternoon run. And then there'll be some form of structured activity in the middle of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and later on, as we get through it, that turns into, instead of two hours of a hike or something, it turns into two hours of trying to do quiet time and just mm-hmm. getting in the word for guys who've never really opened the Bible before. Yeah, it's cool. And seeing what, yeah, just being quiet and sitting with tough questions leads to, which is cool. Um, and then ministry. Yeah, the evening is always just uh, worship around sunset with a bit of a talk. Um, just crank one of the amps on one <laughs> of the boats so you everyone can hear and you sort of more up in a big U shape. Oh, and okay, yeah, sick. End of the week, they, really cool. some churches would do baptisms and stuff. Yeah, cool. So make a little flotilla and then dunk <laughs> people in the middle. It's yeah. pretty sick. But um, yeah, it's good. good structure, I think. Yeah. It would be cool to do something like that, wouldn't it? I want to. I want a boat. Let's let's get. I a want boat. A, <laughs> let's get a boat. Our next church plan is, is a houseboat. Yeah, <laughs> just tours up and down the river. Yeah, it'd be easy to get to to twenty churches by twenty twenty. It's just like we just got heaps of boats. <laughs> twenty, you know, twenty twenty's passed, right? Well, yeah, but that's what I mean. We should have we should have had that. Like that's what that to get there. We should have just got a whole bunch of boats. Yeah. That's that would have been problem solved. Yeah. No, I think it's great. Can I rewind a little bit for you, Elliot? I was about to say Ethan, sorry. So you, you, you've mentioned the US a number of times, but how did you come to grow up in the US, but now you're here? So you were born in the US? No, so <clears throat> my dad's side of the family is a bit uh, mobile, I guess. So um, his dad, my, my granddad that side, moved to Australia from India, had my dad and all of his siblings. Right. And then when my dad had met my mum, who's originally British, they chose to have us kids born here. Um, and then when I was a few months old, we moved to the US for his work. Oh, okay. And then I was there for yeah, 18 years after that. Where, where did you mainly reside? Uh, south of Los Angeles. So like okay. in the sort of like wider region of LA. Mm-hmm. And then yep. up until... Um, up until I went to, yeah, start working at these different ministries. I took me to Oregon, Washington, and then um, uh, I went to uni in Washington for a little bit as well. Washington State. Washington State. Canada. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. Uh, 
just before you get we get to that, did you were your parents Christians? Uh, so my dad was definitely the bigger proponent of bringing us to church, like to the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think my mum liked the community, mm-hmm. um, and in only the years since I've left home, I think has it become a really big reevaluation period for them both which is quite um it's interesting. quite beautiful in yeah. a way so mm. like as we learn to communicate better with me being over here especially with lockdowns and things yeah. right. going three years without seeing them because i'm here and they're still over there um i would sort of start a different um devotional series or a book or something mm. and i would either buy one for my dad or he would I remember when I bought mornings and evenings um uh for oh, the first that, time is that Spurgeon Spurgeon yep. yeah Charles yep. Spurgeon yeah he um bought a copy like the next day we actually started reading it at the same time oh, so it's oh, been really cool, really cool to watch sort of the revival from uh like I couldn't really comment on how their faith was growing up mm-hmm. I wasn't really aware enough but now at least seeing them like reevaluate and be a lot more proactive with it yep. um since i think seeing me try to turn my whole life towards that mm. um so yeah it's that's really cool and, te- and testament obviously like you live in and out and they're seeing that like how it impacts you so that i mean if you had to buy morning and e- mornings and evenings then you're probably obviously discussing it too right yeah yeah that's definitely. that's so yeah, cool it's been such a blessing yeah but that's I'd really say cool. growing up was, um, yeah, it's just sort of like a routine. Never really talked about it much in the home. It was never um, like contrary to, um, or nothing ever countered rather, like getting into faith or anything. But um, yeah, I would say I was exposed to Christianity, but it wasn't necessarily like a home that emphasized it. Yeah, okay. So, Elliot, can I ask you, what's, from your observation, what's the difference in turn, you obviously grew up in the US, what do you think the biggest differences are between the US and Australia? Because, oh, when, what age did you move to Australia? When I was 18. Okay, so you, you obviously grew up, mostly, obviously all of your childhood's in the US. Yeah, yeah. What did you, but what do you see the biggest differences would be between growing up in the US and what you know of people growing up in Australia? I think um, there's a certain layer of hospitality that's treated in a different way. Not that okay. people aren't hospitable here, uh, but um, people are almost obliged to be hospitable over there. And when you're like traveling through somewhere to host you, have you over or make the offer, and um, it's a big emphasis i think on that and uh i think it's still a strong dynamic with the family i don't think that's always necessarily done perfectly but i think there's still like a big onus on always traveling back always vetting things with some people's parents depending on Mm. like how um traditional like the house is but a lot of people have like a really great respect for their family or like their lineage and things whereas mm. um 
sometimes a good thing in Australia. I think people have um, uh, a nature that's not more individualistic, but um, I guess free in a sense. Like people choose things uh, for their own careers and their own pathways, and that's yeah. got a lot of implications to it. Um, but I think, yeah, there is a dynamic of over there. There was like a lot of respect for the whole um, and a bit of expectation, which can obviously be negative if that's wrongly placed or you feel the pressure from that expectation. But um, yeah, I think here people shed that almost too much to the point where there's mm. a disregard for uh, the family in some regards. But mm. What an interesting point. Because I was having a discussion, I think it might have even been last night, because like we went to Burwood Chinatown. There's obviously a, there's a huge mix of cultures and backgrounds there. Mm. And then we went to Lakemba as well. And there's even there, there's a mix of cultures and backgrounds. And I think I was talking to Brayden about the difference between individualist and collectivist like communities and how I think in Australia it's, it's quite individualistic, mm. like, like you're probably describing there. And I think we kind of miss... I wonder if we put enough emphasis on family mm. um, because even on the Shogos we were talking about this, um, there's a thing called blue zones, which is like these five areas in the world where it's like the highest proportion of centenarians, like people that are over a hundred mm. and what the reasons are for that. And part of it is food, part of it is um, everyone can walk everywhere. And then a big part of it is um, intergenerational support throughout their families but also in the communities as well yeah sure and then I was saying like I was saying to Braden, like it's interesting that I think that how we aspire to do church is almost bridging that gap between the individualism and collectivism um, here at Sorrel Revival so it's just a really interesting discussion I didn't know that that was as high as you've described it in the US I thought that quite interesting well I think <sighs> I should probably preface it with that the U.S. is still plagued with like expressive individualism, as I would say, and like it's definitely had a decay. Um, mm. I've been reading a lot. Uh, I think it's it's called the Intentional Father, or there's also a podcast like the Intentional Family, um, with Jeff Bethke and um, an Australian pastor who's in New York, John now. Tyson. John Tyson, that's it. Um, and they talk about how we're reacting against family dynamics in the West broadly, like mm. Australia as well as um, the US, because yep. we're interpreting that phenomenon of the 50s yeah. coined nuclear family, which only really lasted 10 years. Yeah. We're interpreting that as this oppressive thing to react against. Mm. And that thing was very flawed, but that's because it wasn't necessarily the biblical family from mm. before that, which has predated all the issues and has actually set the world up with its foundations, like in a really, in a really beautiful way. Mm. Um, so I think like, yeah, the U S still has issues with it. I just noticed it a lot. And maybe it's because I was far from my own family that I looked at everyone else's families mm. and like the, I felt guilty in some part because I couldn't maybe travel home as much. And when I started noticing it and people not traveling home when they only lived an hour away, mm. I was like, wow, that's fascinating. It's mm. like, I would 
do anything to see my parents right now. Mm. Mm. But like a lot of people just wouldn't put the time in. Um, so yeah, that's where I sort of noticed it. I think. I think it's with such a. Australia is uh, notoriously egalitarian, like we and we have always been, mm. like since we since we started. And uh, I think it is a real. I guess I guess America in in similarity has um, a, an early rebellious streak historically, but mm. um, but yeah, we've always had that egalitarian personal freedom as a mark of what makes someone Australian. Um, and it's, yeah, it's not surprising at all that that bleeds into the family, I reckon. Uh, interestingly, something that uh, when when Solis was starting in the 90s, uh, Stu and the guys that were leading it um, found themselves leaning into this friendship idea that we see in the Bible, um, but partially because turning to kids in the 90s and saying, oh yeah, like come and hang out with us. It will be like a family was so foreign and mm. was so actually unappealing. Yeah, Like yeah. it was actually, we don't want this because we hate our families and we're yeah, rebelling yeah. against our families. Mm. And um, like you look at particularly the, particularly the nineties, actually you look at the media of the time, like breakfast club and um, uh, what's that Eddie Vedder movie. Um, oh, into, Eddie the, v- into the wild. Into the um, wild, yeah. Oh yeah, uh, he made the soundtrack for it. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Um, it's not. He's not in the movie. Yeah, that's not, not a nineties movie, though. Is it? No, it's not. No, it's not, but he, but it's about a guy in the, that it happened oh, in the nineties. Okay, thank and, you. And um, so you see, you have stuff like that happening, and yeah, it's all this big rebellion against yeah, yeah. against uh, the family structure. And so when when we started Solis and we're like, yeah, let's just be friends with each other, all these people were like, oh, I like responded really positively to that because yeah, like we've always had this mateship thing in Australia or if that is such a huge, oh, I've lost the word, but um, we put that on a high pedestal uh, of when it comes to priorities. And um, and then, yeah, I think that only got emphasized by that mass rebellion against the nuclear family in the nineties and um, maybe even early two thousands. And um, yeah, it's interesting to see what that's as those people are having children Mm. I think it's really interesting to see what um, this next generation are going to do as they, are they going to re-disconnect with their family? Are they going to not? Is it, yeah, that'll be, yeah, I think that'll be really interesting. And yeah, that difference I hadn't, I had always assumed maybe because of movies like Into the Wild, I'd assumed that America was really similar. Um, but I guess there's a lot more of you, more of people over there. Um, <laughs> a few, sorry. <laughs> a few people. Yeah. Well, it's like, do I say you? Do I say them? Do I say it was a lot more Americans? Yeah. Um, and so there's probably a lot more room for diversity in that, mm. um, in that way of thinking. But yeah, it's really interesting. I think it's interesting. That the uh, One final thought on this and then we'll get back to Elliot. But I think Australia is grappling with that. I think there's the, mm. there's the individualist part that you're talking about. And I think, but then there's also the egalitarian part. And I think, I think a part of Australia is we're not sure how to move forward as things have changed in our country mm. to try and keep that mateship egalitarianism that even like was probably present in the eighties, like seventies and eighties. Mm. But now the nineties was like, Oh, hang on. That's not like, there was this almost like a rebellion against that or what, what was, originally thought was the ideal way of living life in Australia. 
and I think it changed a lot from the nineties. But we've been doing it since now. we've been doing it since World War Two, right? Like, yeah. and and World War One probably. But there's heaps of stories in. Actually, well, World War One's a, a, a better cause example because of, of the Antics. Well, there's heaps of stories about um, about people uh, Germans in World War One. The, their stra- one of their strategies was if you take out the British captain, the everyone would sit around and wait to figure out what happened next, and then. But if every time they like took, they like get the snipers out and they'd, they'd find in the trenches that they'd identify the Australian captain and then they'd kill him or general or whatever. Mm. Um, someone else would just go, "Cool, my turn." Like I'll just I'll just step up yeah, and do it's it. Different, isn't it? Yeah. And it was that that was a cultural thing mm. of we're all friends doing this together, we're all mates doing this together, we're all individuals doing this together, and because of that kind of culture, they were able to go like yeah that that the the Germans were like we can't beat these guys in the same way that we can beat the English because they just keep getting the back up resilience to that yeah yeah and it's also if we go to World War One like Monash really changed the war mm. when you march them more behind tanks yep. And the breaking out of church warfare, any uh, trent church warfare, Ch- trench warfare, <laughs> trench warfare is what I was saying. Uh, let's move back to Elliot though, and I think it relates to what you're saying of how people are willing in the U.S. to go back to visit their families. I wonder if you know how there's the uh, idea of in the U.S. especially of a lot of people travel somewhere else after high school to go to college. I, we don't do that here. No, we don't do that. For example, so lead, that's a lead into my question of like, what did you do going to university? Because you said you went to Washington State. Yep. Did you have an idea about what you want to do when you finished high school, or is it just like let's go to college and figure that out? Uh, yeah, it's a bit eclectic. Um, I think I had a bit of a divide in my possibilities. There was um, late high school. Music was my biggest thing, so um, that was obviously one of my passions and the things I thought I could do best. And at that point, I had been playing music at a number of churches and thought it was something I could use for uh, a net good, really, with that. And then I had met a few Australians at, it was actually an Anzac Day service on the USS Midway, in oh. San Diego, so Sick. big aircraft carrier. Yeah. It was the 100 year and they ho- the US hosted it oh. and they had flyovers and all these. Because that's the massive like base in San Diego, the Navy base yeah, in San Diego. Yeah, Coronado is um, quite big. So we, we met some uh, contacts from Australia and some friends uh, who I still am in touch with now. And they floated the idea because I was also keen about doing something in either emergency services or in the military. Mm-hmm. And they said, oh, you're still a citizen. Have you thought about applying to come back, even if it's just for your uni and then you come back to the US? Okay. No harm, like it would just be a cool experience. Mm. Um, so I started the application process, sort of reverse cycle in having to stay up late to <laughs> call them when their office was open and yep. uh, do all the process. And my dad was massive with that. <laughs> um, so I had my application in and gone and done some interviews all condensed in Australia during my spring break of senior year while I was applying for universities and auditioning for um, music schools and trying to get scholarships and things. And um, I got into a few schools in the US for music and other things. And then I was waiting on my actual letter of offer 
to actually come through from Australia. So I just picked a university of good rapport, I guess, mm-hmm. with me because I had worked with someone who uh, was attending there from the Delta. Cool. So I had met uh, one of my friends there at the Delta. They were the overall driver of the boat and I learned so much from them. And I was like, if there's anyone who acts like similar to you or can like point me more towards Jesus like you did, mm. I'll go wherever that is. Right. And I went to Whitworth um, in Washington, like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew my time was going to be short there. Just I was waiting on the letter of offer to actually have some certainty. Mm. And uh, as soon as that came through, I decided to just stick it out for the whole semester up there. Mm-hmm. Um, took From there on, I didn't really have much pressure, so I just took like, music subjects, took Sick. some physics, took like some theology subjects, and Very cool. did some ministry stuff up there. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, really lived deliberately, I think, just trying to um, throw myself into the community, and, uh, experience that, which is brilliant. And then um, that December, I moved back home, went to Perth for two weeks, and then started in Canberra oh. at um, UNSW at ADFA. Yeah. Right. What's ADFA, sorry? So it's like the um, the Academy. Australian Defence yeah. Force Academy. Oh, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> don't look like an idiot asking. No, that. I lo- no, I looked at you and I'm like, I know the answer, and I'm like, I'm I looking at you and I'm like, oh, what is it? Sa- what is while. it? I'm like, I got to, I just lost the A. I'm like, yeah, yeah. what's the, what's the, what's the, what's A? it's the Australian Defence Force School. Like, I don't, <laughs> what's the uh, academy? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so a couple of questions around that. It's, I just looked up where Whitworth University is. It's in Spokane. Is that yep. right? Okay. Then, because even at college, where are you off to, Ethan? <laughs> Fixing the camera. Okay, because uh, that's all even different there. I mean, your first year is basically just generalist subjects, mm. right? I think we miss that in Australia in terms of university. I think it would be cool to do more generalist subjects to figure out what you want to learn more about. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so you don't pick a thing until later. Until second, have second. to. Like a lot of people wait until second because it's a four-year degree. So yeah. you have um, yeah your core subjects a lot in the beginning and then... Um, and then people will choose to specialize in something once they make up their mind about That's what great. a major could be and if they see what prerequisites they I like the idea have, of being able to kind of experiment and go, oh, I want to learn about this. Because it sounds like you did that. You did some theology subjects and that kind of stuff. I would have loved to do that. That would yeah. be awesome. Mm-hmm. But I also was fascinated by saying that, so you were only 18 when you did that. Yeah. There's quite a, a level of maturity to say, oh, I want to live intentionally and like go where God's pointing me to go as well. What do you think the motivation behind that was? Was it because of the leaders that you'd had at those different camps and ministries you'd been part of? Yeah, I think it, I would say the summer periods that I had spent away were better than all the rush of during the year and all the grappling for success at like the high school I was in. So I think I noticed that that was a much better way to live quite early even if I didn't really understand it right and I think um yeah I had some really influential leaders back then who really got me going to church properly for the first time and after looking at 
yeah, sort of their example. I think I thought that it was, yeah, better option to do that than just be in this vapid race to yeah run after success at the time. Mm. I was like, I'm going to have uncertainty anyway coming up. I'll just invest in what I can do now mm. and get to know people. So yeah, um, really cool. That is cool. Yeah. Because I don't think I had that level of maturity when I was 18 either, which I think is really cool to hear. I think and it's a good lesson for you might not know what you're going to do by living with the intentionality mm. in terms of what God, where God's going to make like make you go. I think that's really cool. Mm. Yeah, I don't think I did either. I think it was there was a lot of there was a lot of intentionality, but it was mostly just like running with what was happening at the time. Yeah, like, I think that's what I missed. Yeah, but there wasn't. Yeah, and I wonder if again there might be a difference between the US and like you got like if you move to Spokane, like that's still. I mean, what? Well, that's a two-hour flight from home, right? Something like that. Yeah, at least opposite, like north to south, opposite side yeah. of the country, really. So yeah, um, yeah. opposite if, side of the country, as in <laughs> like if Los Angeles is the furthest south, the oh, opposite okay. is the furthest north. Oh yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. I thought you meant east west. And I'm like, <laughs> Hang on. Did I get the Washington State thing wrong? Yeah, no. okay. Um, so then you also said that you moved to Perth. Yep. For two weeks. What was that for? Uh, that was just sort of a staging area, you could say, to come across to Canberra. So my grandparents are from Perth, oh. and that's where my dad was from. I was born there, so we right. I sort of yeah stayed with my grandparents for a few weeks, and then yeah reconnected with a couple of family friends. I really didn't know anyone outside of um, my dad's side of the family here. So mm-hmm. yeah, I just thought it would be good to have a bit of cultural saturation before <laughs> I <laughs> went and threw myself in. And then yeah, yeah. it was funny because then when I went to Canberra, everyone thought I was like on exchange or something. So <laughs> but you're yeah. like, nope, quite different. I'm yeah, here full time. Yep. <laughs> so. And again, like speaking about being at 18, like there's a level of maturity required to move to a different country. Mm. Even if it's speak the same language. Oh, mat- maturity of, I don't know, foolhardiness <laughs> or something. <laughs> I don't know. But again, like to move away, I mean, I don't think I'd move away from my family when I was 18 either. Like to go to, a di- especially to a different country. What's that like? Having to adjust so much because you've got to live on your own. You've got to do everything for yourself. Yeah. Um, I thought it was the best thing I could do to yeah, kick start myself in a way like to force myself to find a foundation and live not on, uh, I guess my previous, um, laurels or experiences. Like Mm -hmm. I just wanted to have something completely clean, try to ask for nothing from my family side. And obviously like it's a, it's a pretty comprehensive gig going to Canberra to do that. Like they take care of you quite well as oh, the trade off. But yeah. Um, yeah, I like the idea of starting again somewhere where I couldn't claim all my own experiences or just because of the environment or upbringing I happened to have. Yeah, I cool. wanted to sort of re reset and then see the product of that. Mm. And then as well, it's such a blessing to, not have to worry about like student debt and stuff like I would have in the U S <laughs> right, so right. Um, in that sense, it was an easy option compared to yeah. um, 
<laughs> yeah, living through that and <laughs> doing four years of uni and then not knowing at all if I'd have a job or anything. So yeah. um, the factors were that I'd experienced something pretty radical and different, experienced a different culture. I'd at least learned some fascinating skills mm. and get to try to live intentionally. My biggest thing was I could live intentionally pretty easily at Whitworth because it's a Christian environment. Mm. And I was like, I'm going to go to a pretty relatively grim environment and see how that works. Yeah. Um, go to a completely secular environment that has, I don't know, the framework of Christendom like around it, but mm. has really, oh, yeah, yeah post-Christian now. Yeah. And I think that was the next challenge was I could live intentionally there. Mm. Let me live intentionally, I don't know, like in the desert, so mm. to say, <laughs> uh, so to speak. So, Why did you want to seek that out, do you think? Like, why did you want that clean break to to get all those new things all in one go? I think it's to make sure it was real. Um, again, like, not just the product of, like, these feelings and, like, satisfaction. Is it because of God or is it because of I've had a really cool community around me the whole time huh. since coming to him? And I guess you can't, you can't necessarily separate those two. Like, the, the fruit of God working is yeah. a bountiful and enjoyable community <laughs> and, like, um, but yeah, I, I guess I had, I wouldn't say doubts in a, in a spiritual sense, but in a personal sense mm. of, um, yeah, was it just the circumstances that satisfied me? Mm. Was it just that everything happened to play out that way? Or was it really because, um, I leaned into the fold of God that I was satisfied in what was happening no matter what. Mm. And yeah, I wasn't really sure. So I think it was sort of uh, an opportunity to test that. Yeah. I'm just really impressed with the number of times, like the level of mature thinking that you're really thinking it through. <laughs> that's all. I don't think it's, that's really cool. I was just lost without anything else. <laughs> so, like that was the default. But, but I also yeah. think there's a lot of bravery in that too. Yeah. Like I think, I think it's actually really easy to ask that question, oh, am I just here because of all those things? Mm. And then go, yep. And I'm comfortable with that. And that, like, not yep, but like, mm. like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna even try to 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 get out of that comfort zone. And um, and I think that that confidence and bravery to be able to go, you know what? I don't, I don't know. I'm gonna, mm. I'm gonna see what happens. Uh, is is actually quite inspiring so that's really cool man well done <laughs> like yeah that's all i got there but i think you articulated that better than i did because i think yeah that's why i'm saying like i, I don't think i had that level of bravery or maturity to actually mm. go this is, i need to make sure this is tr true this is real and I, and I think not many like i don't think many people do like i think that's mm. more what i was trying mm. to say there like it wasn't just it's not just a like yeah i think it's a it's a very extraordinary response and uh, it's really really cool um, so once you are, now you're in the desert, what's what's it like being a Christian there? In in a in that secular yeah. environment, as much as you can say. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'd say the first years absolutely sucked. Oh. <laughs> yeah. oh, no. um, as in, like, for my own failings and mm. reasons, and um, if I thought. That in the US it was bad, the pressures and um, the hustle and workaholism and all these all these things mm. that 
are the product of just being an individual, having to prove everything all the time. That was really uh, magnified in the environment in Canberra, I'd say. Um, mixed with some massive party hole and yeah, okay. a bit of a debaucherous environment. Um, it's all very like sport and affirmation and just drinking and just mm-hmm. um, so like worldly affirmation. Um, and yeah, I've definitely struggled with that. And um, I was a little bit um, disheartened because the other Christians in that community, there, there are a lot who chose to actually step out of it, which is probably the wise thing. Or like, I think they're um, quite in tune with their moral self mm-hmm. with that and like absolutely fair decision. Um, I still had an idea that I was supposed to live through that to get to the other side of it. Oh, like I felt compelled to do that. Yeah. But it was definitely like it hurt me being in that environment and I think falling into some of those folds and like stumbling um, for a number of years with all that drinking and yeah, like non-Christian relationships and things. Um, I still felt like I was scrambling after God in that. Mm. It was just that my frequency of failings like went up obviously in that environment. Um, And then... Yeah, I really didn't have a great church in Canberra. I had um, a few friends who wanted to go to, there was like a Pentecostal one nearby, which mm-hmm. I was really a fan of in the US at first. And then I th- it didn't really satisfy what I was needing at the time. Um, it felt very like emotionally charged, but I just needed discipline and I needed Mm. rigor and accountability and like more of the intellectual side of things to break me out of the cycle of what I was doing and going astray. Mm. And then, um, that led me to pursue orthodoxy, (laughs) um, like (laughs) Russian and Greek orthodoxy. So the first Easter I had, um, in Australia, we had like a long weekend for it. And I went to a Greek Orthodox church with my mates, full Greek family, did all the fasting and, um, in the lead up and then broke the fast on that night and had Pashka with them, which was really beautiful. Cool. And that drew me in because, um, yeah, it was very discipline focused. It was mm. very much structured and ordered in the way the liturgy is mm-hmm. and the way the, the prayer book structured is. Yeah. It's very, conf- I don't know if it's a word confessant. Like it's <laughs> like, there's a lot of, um, beautiful prayers which i think Mm. are still great for contemplative prayer and like the early church fathers i still like think there's good resource in that but there were a lot of really good prayers for confession and Mm. things like that and i felt like the biggest stray Mm. and failure at the time so i think that's why i appealed um i was still treating like my living not for god with that which mm. is the most backwards thing. Like I, w- I wasn't <laughs> making necessarily fixes. I was still f- 
getting drawn in. But yeah. I think yeah, the culture was so strong. Um, the secular culture either that I kept falling into the same issues. Mm. Uh, but then, yeah, that was sort of a bit of my breakout or how I was clinging to God at the time mm. was yeah going to that. Um, why do you think you were looking for discipline so much? Because it, and please forgive me if I'm wrong here. It almost sense I'm sensing that you were like maybe getting a bit, was there some legalism creeping in there? Of like, I just have to be like this and maybe not, I mean, uh, the reason I'm saying this is because I struggle with this, I think, around the same age, mm. was that I'm just not good enough. I'm just not good enough for God. And that would actually lead me to not understanding his grace enough. Mm. And so then I would not draw close enough. I wouldn't draw as close to God as I wanted to be. Mm. So therefore, it would restart a cycle of like kind of legalism. I just need to be better and do more myself. Do you think that was similar to you? Yeah, I, th- I think so. I think it was um, that I felt like when I was not satisfied with the the other Pentecostal church, which was like probably fine looking back at it, it's because I felt like I had dried up the emotional response that uh, I could have yeah. to feeling like I was walking with Jesus again and redeemed. I had like dried up my emotional response and now my next like full tank to have was the... Yeah, the discipline and yeah, mm-hmm. uh, exactly. I think legalistic attitude, sort of paired with, um, I think what people crave in the mystic traditions of that. Mm-hmm. Like, um, yeah, things are like there's a really good degree of reverence with that, um, with that uh, Christian tradition over in the East. But I think I was finding appealing for the wrong reasons exactly mm-hmm. as you said and um yeah i'm not i'm not exactly sure i think that might have just been the way to escape from uh the environment and i was used to being assessed all the time mm-hmm. because of going through all the training and stuff uh, which is yeah. like just how it has to be yeah and i think i was treating it like just another assessment yeah. um, in a sense mm. Yeah, like I'm not, I'm not living up to whatever particular standard I think that God has set for me. But mm. again, that's even that's man-made, isn't it? Not, yeah, yeah. Not God-made. <laughs> well, yeah, you're never going to feel emotionally charged enough or have like that yeah. gradient of like high to low that buys anything and you're never going to be able to act in accordance like in such a way that you redeem yourself. Like it's never going to work. Mm. Um, I guess, yeah, too good. <laughs> lessons for me at the time like yeah. back to back uh, looking back on it because I really love discipline too and I think it sounds like you respond well to that like wanting to be disciplined yourself but it's almost like uh, discipline with the wrong intentions behind it like and I think that's why I'm saying I I kind of resonate with what you're saying was that I would try and discipline myself but without the grace whereas like if you focus on the grace more I think uh, healthy discipline comes out of that mm, and absolutely. maybe had just like I did had it the wrong way around mm. which is you know it's un- understandable that's, that's all I was saying I wasn't trying to give you a hard time yeah, yeah. <laughs> so how does the like what were you studying at at Adva yeah and then how does that pair with like the defense stuff yeah sure um so well the constructs that you study while doing your service specific 
training. So and is that Duntroon? Uh, so all the people who are like army will go through Duntroon. Okay. Um, and it's just that it's all services at once at adverse. So there's people from Navy, Air Force, okay, doing their own thing. Civi, uh, like civilian students doing their own thing, yeah. and you, yeah, you have your academic week, and then it's just like general officer skills and things around that, mm-hmm. and then you'll disappear for a couple of weeks at a time to do like specific field blocks yeah, for cool. adverse. So, um, in that sense, it's really good because you get to like finish academic term, go on like a little camping trip, pretty much like <laughs> um, involuntary camping. But uh, <laughs> then when you finish that, you do your year at Duntroon and mm-hmm. then like you start actually taking up a position. Get placed somewhere. Yeah, full time. So um, yeah, it's a really good way to learn a lot mm. of mm. fascinating things about yourself. Mm. Um, minus like my only gripe with the structure was like, how uh, attractive the subculture mm. of it can be. Because that thing can be influenced, I think. And that's mm. sort of my hope for the future is as my mates go back as staff and people I know who are like, yeah, of like good moral stock and things, I would hope to see the culture change positively. Yeah. Um, the framework of the training is great. I learned a lot from it. Mm. And um I think a lot of my temperaments because of that mm-hmm. and how I yeah, work now. I think it's a great opportunity, but yeah, the the culture within it was definitely. Is that like a work hard, like we're really disciplined in work and like all uni and the training, but then outside of that, it's play hard, kind of just go, go all out? Yeah, pretty much. And even even people who weren't necessarily training hard, it just turned into people have a disposable income yeah. <laughs> and like you yeah. don't have to pay for and they're young rent yeah so yeah oh you don't have to pay for pay rent. well like when you're living in the barracks yeah sort of thing like so you don't really have to worry about yeah. normal things at that age yeah. so what do you study at the same time is it like a, a more generalist thing or is it like particular streams others heaps so you can do like the humanities or sciences or engineering Engineering will sort of shape your qualifications and like what you do later. But um, I did science, so physics and aviation, sort of working with drones cool. and stuff. So we've tried to do some really? little research there, which is cool. And then, yeah, right. Um, yeah, sort of like leads into studying now, which is good. Yes. Yep. So then you finish at Adva. Yep. What do you do after that? Then do you get you get placed somewhere? You do your Duntroon year and then yes. you get like your core, like your job. And then uh, from that, you do specialist or your specific training rather. Uh, rather. So I went to Holsworthy mm-hmm. uh, the first time mm-hmm. to do the engineering officers, uh, the regimental officers basic course. Cool. So that is, um, yeah, about eight months. Mm-hmm where they teach you how to plan every sort of task you can come across and then you get hands-on so you can appreciate how the boys you're working with Mm. will deal with it so you can hopefully like actually 
have a bit of empathy <laughs> put yourselves in their shoes before tasking someone with like just appreciating the timing and like how hard some of the jobs are yeah, yeah and lead right. lead better in that yeah, yeah for sure so it's just to give you a bit of flavor so you know what you're talking about yep and then that's when i started going to a village in marrickville village oh, okay. church mm-hmm. which i think dominic from there knows Stu. i'm sure they've had Probably. I think um, through um, union ministry and stuff. Yeah, I'd say I think that's yeah. where they know each other. Yeah. yeah. And in a really roundabout way, that's actually how I found Soul Revival. <laughs> because um, <laughs> years later when I came back, um, one friend of mine from Village popped up on a mutual friend, like icon <laughs> on Facebook Marketplace uh, <laughs> for someone who's selling a couch in Kirwi. <laughs> and that person... <laughs> like they happened to go to Soul Revival. Well, so when I went. bought the couch, I asked them how they knew this dude. They're like, oh yeah, more college. And I'm like, that's crazy. So you guys go to church? And they're like, yeah, sick. Come tonight. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Sick. Um, Who was that? That was Paul and Day. Oh, Terry. really? Yeah. Oh, sick. Very so, cool. um, <laughs> yeah, that's they're the cool. first people I met. That's in unreal. Kiwi. Oh, that's unreal. And they've been super helpful with uh, me and Emily now. Mm-hmm. So, yep. like. Yeah, they've been great. Awesome. I'm so they're glad you good. mentioned Emily because I've actually forgotten your wife's name. So. <laughs> That's right. so how did you guys get together? Because you were moving around a fair bit. Like, how do you end up meeting someone? And you're you saying you're married. You're married now too. But yeah. How, yeah. Did, how does that How does that all play out? So after that period in Sydney, the first time, where um, I would say like everything got way more back on track. Yeah. Okay. Um, like Duntry and Post. Um, and yeah, when I started going through um, training, finished up, got allocated to Town Tool, which is um, one of my, yeah, that was my first preference. Just like thought I would get the best experience and be very outdoors. Um, and then I moved up there at the end of the year. And then I met Emily on the first day I was there <laughs> at church when she was part of the worship team. Um, it also helps that one of my mates who I had just spent that year in Sydney with um, during the training was her older brother. And then he, <laughs> there's apparently some planning in the background. <laughs> 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 Make our paths cross a bit. That's um, so good. And she was like, oh, are any like Christian mates of yours coming yeah. up to <laughs> posting up soon or anything? But um, either way, we yeah met at church and in a, in a beautiful display of i don't know of god's working mm. um uh, her old youth group leader um is the wife of the padre like the chaplain i became very close with in duntroon huh. who helped me sort of like walk away from not walk away from but like come back to yeah out of legalism mm. out of that emotional right um wave <laughs> wave top sort of um search and yeah he was a really influential yeah. figure for me mm. and then um, he was only down there for a little while before posting back up to townsville himself and then i realized that his wife used to be emily's old youth leader wow like when she was just sort of exploring christianity but wasn't serious mm. necessarily about it or before she had really made it her the center of her life and then um once we had both sort of fix like sort of stuff out and God had worked in both of us to bring us back on track. We then met
in the same place that this chaplain and his wife were now really with cool. their beautiful family. So, um, yeah, it was really cool. It's <laughs> very, very cool. Yeah, it's really we met, lovely. We met at church and then, yeah, a couple of weeks later started, um, yeah, started like deliberately like growing from there and yeah, Unreal. taking steps. So How long have you been married? Cool. Uh, since April this year. Yeah. Oh, cool. Not yeah. Very, not very long at all. No, not long. That's cool, though. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And uh, what was I going to ask? So you still work in defense. Mm. Is that right? Yeah. And you said before the podcast, you can't tell us too much about it, which is totally fine. But what's it like being a Christian there, like in your current role now compared to what you were doing when you were in uni? Worlds apart. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. Um, and I think it's the product of sticking through that initial period. Um, like I definitely didn't have to have it all play out exactly how my experience in Canberra did, but regardless of what happened there, coming back, or at least taking up like a real job in Townsville first, oh. um, I just felt very ratified, very confident mm. and... Um, I feel like I could live it out very openly mm. because I'd almost earned, oh, it's sort of hard to say. It's not that I had earned the spot there and could finally like have a big reveal that oh, I'm a Christian. That's what, but like um, <laughs> I could finally sit back and like, I'm actually in the system now. I'm like, I'm not just like in training and I could, um, I could then point towards like, hey, my strength this whole time really has been God. Mm. Um, like my, the things that dictate the way I like lead and work with people is because of like trying to imitate Christ. Yeah. And have that. And then. Um, you can make your mark like that. Yeah. And then people start asking about it more. And then yeah. like, sick. yeah, have random we call them sappers, like the engineer soldiers, but like you have random sappers like start coming to church and stuff. Yeah, awesome, um, awesome. At the end of the year and like, um, I think it was fascinating because you have this cohort of guys who have just been pressure and performance driven this whole time who have become like the next rank up, so like a young captain and their life falls apart because everything's been building them up for their first command experience. As soon as it's done, there's nothing left to affirm them. Like they, they don't know what the ideal next jobs are. They have no structure mm. and everyone's looking for truth and they're all very well educated mm. and we've had all the ethics and worldview training mm. and then they just sit at like this oblivion of what the rest of their life is going to be and they really start coming into questions. Wow. And then that becomes the perfect time to, because I've sat through them, uh, with them through all the build up. Um, and they see the difference in you. Try to point, yeah. In regards to that oblivion kind of aspect, it's like you're not like that, so what's different? Mm. And then they're going to ask you about it, right? Yeah, and they're all like very growth and performance driven guys. Like they're all um, into <coughs> soft stoicism and they're into oh, okay. reading, um, yeah, Holiday and yeah. Peterson. And yeah, yeah they're all about progression as an individual like growth must happen 
like for a good life like they get that and then yeah for a season when they can't have that and they're like well what is life anymore Mm. it's like it's pretty fascinating to be able to ask a few good questions so there's a lot of people who are like maybe that slight year or two ahead of me who are like in that phase where they're really open to talking about what truth is and what life is really worth and it's pretty fascinating yeah, because I'm, I'm really drawn to those writers that you've mentioned too, like Ryan Holiday and Jordan Peterson and people like that, because I do enjoy trying to better myself. But often if they're in that scenario, it's like, well, what am I doing this for? Mm. Is that where they end up being and they they like, well, what's at the end of continual improvement? If there's Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. what is your basis? Or what's the, how do you assess how you've approved, improved um, if there's no standard? Yeah, mm. they, I think they grapple with that there has to be some form of absolute truth and that they've never thought about it until now because they're, they've just been so busy mm. and now there's like a bit of breathing space where the world falls apart and like, yeah, I would say like it's very consistent that someone hits that. They either hit that and they grapple with it somehow for a period of time or they're not perceptive to it and they just... Yeah, float around, sort of. Not understanding um, it. Yeah, yeah. A bit aimless. Yeah, mm. 100%. Right. Well, we've looked at... Do you have a question, sorry? Uh, as you said to me before, you're only 25, so <laughs> we've had some older people on the podcast, now, <laughs> so it goes for a lot longer. But um, I wanted to ask you, like, our final question, which is, what do you know now as a Christian? that you wish you knew when you were a younger Christian? Mm. I think having both the arcs of the experiential nature of my maybe immature Christianity and then the legalistic nature of my Mm -hmm. struggling Christianity, um, I think they're both taught me that um, abiding and following and seeking him first beyond like the pressures of uh, like your context is always going to be like the best option and it's it's actually funny because I think I lived better when I just thought about it prayed about it oh, I should go up and like live intentionally and now I'm like full circle back to just living intentionally now yeah. again. Yeah. Like it, yeah. I had to go through a bit of that pressure, um, I think to rediscover that. And I think, yeah, just abiding, living intentionally in the fold, um, and practicing the way of Jesus in how you can be like him, do what he did. Um, has just been game changing. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, yeah, I think, I think now, um, I've been reading a lot about yeah formation and how you have your practices and disciplines which are not to uh, take you from where you are and make yourself good enough to approach God, but they are to rejoice in God for what he's done. And like, yeah, we're, we're trying a lot of practices at the moment to really bring it back to roots of Sabbath and quiet. And Is this John Matcoma stuff? Um, that's part of it. Big and inspiration then, for it anyway. Um, yeah, that's sort of part of it. And then the disciplines I sort of 
not took from orthodoxy, but the positives in reading things like the Orthodox way. Um, yeah, there are a couple of Christian traditions I think we've lost, mm. which help build up the family. They help uh, take the pressure off your performance, mm. help you live intentionally, mm. and they keep you on a growth mindset and mm. give you a source for truth. And mm. it's like, it's hilarious that we've run away from those. And mm. it's like, um, yeah, yeah mind-blowing. We've had it for hundreds of years. Yeah, like, yeah. And it's, it's just like, there it's, hanging yeah. out. <laughs> yeah. Um, sitting in a little book. Yeah, sitting sitting in the fold and yeah, mm. really rejoicing in that. Yeah. It's better than any pursuit you could have otherwise. So, mm. but yeah. Um, it's probably time to wrap up the pod, but I think I've just been, uh, I've really enjoyed having you on. Uh, it's the most we've ever talked, so I'm sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's been, um, I've been really struck by the way, like again, I think the maturity thing is really, for someone of your age and the things you've talked about in your life, is something that I wish that I possessed. What are you laughing at? I'm, I'm. You're saying that I'm <laughs> immature. So you're no, 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 no. I'm also 25, <laughs> and you've never said that about me. John. Oh, that's, that's not true. <laughs> no, yeah, I think so. That's why I didn't <laughs> say it. I was. That's why I was just giggling to myself because it was a funny joke, <laughs> and, then and then I let it out. I don't work for the church yet, though. That's yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Interesting you said yet. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like, but I just think I appreciate the way you think deeply about things. And, mm. I, um, yeah, totally. and the way is even you're happy to sit in a bit of silence when I ask you a question before you answer it. And mm. I, I really like that. And I really enjoyed that. So um, thank you for coming along to Soul Revival and, and contributing to the community as well. The, there's one question I didn't ask you. What's your instrument of choice? Mm. Oh, what's your, um, like, it's in like best at or prefer? <laughs> what do you prefer? What do you prefer? Oh, okay. Um, Probably trumpet or a flugelhorn, if you've heard of that. Um, what, sorry? It's like a, a mellow trumpet. It's like a little bit bigger. Oh. It's a softer sound. Cool. Sick. I need you to get to talk to my son. He's done yeah. doing trumpet. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mellow trumpet is such a great mellow. description of a trumpet. And that actually would be nice. I would, wouldn't mind hearing that. I want to use the word mellow more. <laughs> okay. <laughs> What's it called? A flugelhorn. A flugelhorn. Uh, cool. What, hang, what are you best at, though? Trombone was my main thing. Okay. Um, but... A little bit of guitar, a little bit of bass, a nice. little bit of drums. Bagpipes? Ooh. Um, yeah. Good. There's a guy at Cronulla <laughs> on, on the Monday. Best. There's a guy at Cronulla on Monday just playing the bagpipes out of one of the units in Cronulla. Awesome. Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine being his neighbour. <laughs> anything, no, anything to finish uh, for the podcast? Um, no, yeah, just I've been, I've been really encouraged, man. Um, and I'm encouraged every time we chat. Like mm. I, it's, it's awesome um, to have you here and have you a part of the community and um, like with the, with the defense for stuff, like it we don't necessarily know how long that will be and, mm. um, and otherwise, but it's really cool that uh, one of the things I'm really encouraged by is that you kept talking about all these different places you ended up and you're able to find people that were Christians in every single one of those mm. places. And there is God centered communities all over the place. And I am, so stoked that um yeah i'm stoked that you've ended up in this one uh yeah. we're, we're really blessed to have you here and um uh we're gonna keep hanging out and that's really really beautiful and uh but it's so encouraging that no matter where we end up we can turn around and there's a whole bunch of christians being like hey mm. like let's and and yeah there's deserts like there's places that are just just 
it feel empty and seem empty, but even in those, God's there and he's working stuff. And um, yeah, it's really cool that that you were able to come out of that. And uh, and like you said, with the with the chaplain guy, like you had people to be like, hey, like let's go, we, we got this, like, uh, and God's got this in that. Uh, and he's working in all of that. He doesn't stop. And uh, it's really beautiful to see him working throughout your whole life, uh, even in those times that are, um, uh, that where it might not feel like that. Uh, so I'm really encouraged by that. Mm. And uh, I'm sure people listening are also super encouraged by that. Mm. Yeah, it's really, really cool, man. Yeah, I agree. Heartily agree. Heartily agree. <laughs> um, thank you for coming on on such short notice too, Elliot. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's been really good, cool. Good chat. Yeah. And just thanks for so willing to come on. Sometimes <laughs> I've got to, you know, give people a bit more encouragement to come on. You just said yes straight away, which is <laughs> amazing. Uh, this has been episode 99 yeah. of the Chip Lunch Podcast. Prepare yourselves for episode 100, Woo. which is going to be an exciting one, I think. Yeah, Do you totally. agree? Yeah, I'd say. I think it'd okay. be really cool. We, we have a plan. Yeah, I'm really excited. Um, it'd be great. Also, thank you to everyone that's been listening or watching. Thank you to Echo Producer. Yep. That's our episodes together. Legend. And again, thank you, Elliot, for coming on. And uh, we finished the episode with a one-way. Do you know what a one-way is? I always check if people know what a one-way is. <laughs> Yeah, one yeah, way. One way.